Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hawaii Kai Church, and thank you for joining us in worship. And at this time, I invite you to take out your Bible or a Bible underneath the chair in front of you and turn to the book of Luke. And we are in chapter 10 and verse 38 as we continue our study through the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 43 uh, is our passage. That passage can be found on page 869 if you are using a church Bible, page 869, Luke 10 and verse 38. Before we look at the text, would you please join me in prayer? Uh, Father, by your grace and kindness, uh, would you please bring us close to you as we open your word? Uh, free us from distraction. Would you captivate our attention? And by the Holy Spirit, would you please show to us uh, the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. This passage is about the essence of true discipleship and what it is that is really at the core of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're coming off a string of texts which describe uh, many facets of discipleship. At the end of chapter 9, there is a cost to following Jesus. The first half of chapter 10, there is a mission that Jesus wants his followers to be a part of and embody because there's a great harvest of people who don't know him. Midway through chapter 10, we get a peek at what is behind the curtain, so to speak, that our joy as believers is really fueled by the joy within the triune God himself. Father, Son, and Spirit rejoice in the grace of our salvation being revealed to a people who don't deserve it. We can get joy when we see God's joy. And it is at the end of chapter 10 in the parable of the Good Samaritan that we are reminded that as beautiful as the law can be, it actually and really condemns every single one of us. And we're shown again our great need of grace. We can't love like the law requires us to love. We have to first be loved first before we can love in the way that God wants us to. Each of these passages shows to us a different facet of discipleship and brings us to see what following Jesus is like from a variety of angles. But it is in our text this morning that I think we see the very core of it all, the boiler room, so to speak of what following Jesus is really about. And we have in our text two sisters, Mary and Martha, who can both teach us a great deal about this very topic. We read in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Notice first how easy it is to become distracted from the very core and essence of discipleship and not even know it, and to lose our focus on what it is that matters most. Mary is at the Lord's feet, taking in all that she can from Jesus, and Martha is distracted with much serving, even when that serving is for Jesus. Now, Martha often gets a bad rap here, and many commentators and preachers over the years have piled on the abuse, using her as an easy target, as someone not to be like, and undercutting her very character. But Martha is a godly woman. She believes in Jesus. She loves Jesus and is loved by him. 
Martha's very close to him, and it looks like she has an open-door policy with him that Jesus can come into her house whenever he wants to, and he knows that Martha is going to welcome him in. We're told in John 11 just how much love is shared between Jesus and Martha and her family. And when the majority of Jesus' superficial followers will scatter and run when the going gets a little bit tougher, Martha is not doing that at this point. She's a very godly woman. She's also an excellent woman of great hospitality, which is a mark of godliness in Romans 12, 13, and 1 Peter 4, 9, and 10, and so on. And especially in this day and age where preparations had to be done on the spot. It's not like you could make a phone call or send a text to let someone know you're about three hours away. And so you had to thoughtfully uh, uh, be prepared for unexpected company to prepare for the guests and clean the house. And as soon as Jesus enters into this village is as soon as Martha welcomes Jesus into her home and Jesus' followers and whoever else is part of his entourage. Try uh, spur-of-the-moment plans when the house is ready. That's normally how you start drama. And what perhaps uh, makes this hospitality even more gracious is that commentators like Matthew Henry also believe that Martha is a widow, which is why the home is called her home and no husband is mentioned, and which would make entertaining and feeding and providing even more noteworthy for most widows in, in this era were not known to be affluent. It's expensive to host. Now, those of you who do that often know the size the bill can quickly become, and yet Martha doesn't seem to regard the cost of it at all. There's a special kind of worship here that feeds the hungry Christ and hosts our Lord and Savior, who somehow at this point has less than the foxes do who have holes of their own, and the birds of the air who have their own nests. In providing for Jesus out of her own potential poverty with exuberance, excitement, and immediacy, we would be wrong to think that somehow Martha here is not a godly and excellent woman. And this is especially more so the case considering the time and being this near to Jerusalem. The scribes, the Pharisees, Herodians, all of Judaism's head honchos, even some of Rome's power people, they are gunning for Jesus or they are about to be gunning for Jesus. And with that, there's always a risk involved in welcoming Jesus into your home and being put on a watch list of sorts. Peter's going to get called out later because a little servant girl around the fire pit recognizes Peter. He's known to spend time with Jesus. I saw that man with Jesus, and Peter will famously deny it three times before the rooster crows because he is utterly afraid of being associated with Jesus. And while Jesus is preparing his followers through his teaching for this exact kind of cost counting, Martha, she still welcomes Jesus in, open arms, and his people into her house without any thought to any kind of cost at all. Martha, she loves Jesus. This is a lot of rigorous work, a lot of potential cost, and yet serving him is her high joy. I, was, I remember watching, I just was watching a segment on Honolulu's Little League team coming home with the championship, go Hawaii. And after being away from the island for an extended amount of time, the reporter was asking the kids what they first did when they got back. Long flight across the entire country. Tough travel, weeks being away. And I think three of the four kids responded, we went to Zippies, we went to Zippies, we went to Zippies. The last kid, Kozo Sushi. They hadn't had any local food. They hadn't had even rice for weeks, they said. And I really think Martha sees Jesus' weariness 
and the rigors of constant ministry and the pressure of it all, it all shows on his face. And she is therefore thoughtful to prepare something nice because she is cognizant of all that Jesus has been put through, the ministry, the preaching, the miracles, the crowds, even the animosity and rejection. And she wants with her all to prepare something nice for him. And so Martha, she does really want to serve Jesus with all of her being, but even that... That's not the main thing, brothers and sisters. Serving Jesus is not primary. There must come before that something else. The main thing, the essence, the core of discipleship is personified here in Martha's sister, Mary. That as soon as she sees Jesus, she wants to receive everything she can from him. And as soon as he opens his mouth to say anything, Mary, in this eagerness, seems to forget everything else and is tunnel-visioned upon the Son of God that her greatest privilege in this moment is to listen with her all to what the Lord has for her, to treasure and soak up everything that he is saying. Charles Spurgeon, speaking of this moment, says of Mary's mind, I will worship, I will adore, and every word he utters shall be stored in my memory. She forgot the needs both of the master and his followers for her faith, saw the inner glory which dwelt within him, and she was so overpowered with reverence and so wrapped in devout wonder that she became oblivious of all outward things. There's a reverence and a devout wonder at the person and work and words of Jesus that must be central before all else. There is a fixation on him and the teaching coming out of his mouth to receive something from him before we give anything back to him. And this is the main thing, church family, and the very core of discipleship, not first to serve Jesus, but to be served by him, to sit in this posture at his feet, as it were, to recognize his authority, that every word out of his mouth is what it sustains me. And this is something in Mary that even Jesus himself modeled within his own life, that when starving in the wilderness and fasting for weeks, being assaulted by the temptations of the devil 40 days, and the choice was laid before him between bread and hunger. Jesus says there so succinctly in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's something more sustaining about God's word than even a loaf of bread to the famished. And this is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, way back when, which tells us that this has been the case for quite some time, that listening to what God has to say is almost everything. That the word of God received into our hearts is the best way to commune with them. And that our greatest needs, our sustenance, the satisfaction our souls long for and required is not to be found in some kind of meal, not to be found in what I can do for him, but to be found by eating everything that proceeds out of God's mouth. You know, these are not the only places where we see this. John 6, 68, Jesus had just preached to the crowds a very tough message that their ears didn't like and their hearts did not agree with. And many, because they didn't like what they were hearing, they began to leave him. And Jesus turns to Peter there and says, do you want to go away as well? And Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life. Do you understand 
how important it is to sit at the feet of our Lord and Savior and drink in his teaching and chew upon his word that what Jesus says and what he thinks and what he preaches and what he teaches is absolutely everything. The entirety of creation as we know it has been created by his very word. The physical universe is a testament to how powerful it truly is because of the one who speaks it, and it can be just as powerful in the hearts of those who want to sit under it. Do you want to sit under Christ's word? Brothers and sisters, this is us, that we want to receive all that God has for us. This seems here to be the air that Mary breathes the food that she eats, the water she drinks. And this is at the very center point of what it means to follow Jesus, the core of what discipleship really is. And there's something crucial we need to understand about discipleship. And it's very simple, and yet it is at the same time so often forgotten that Christianity is, again, first about being served by Christ rather than it is first serving him. I think this is where many of us uh, who follow Jesus can so easily get upside down, to be so focused on what we give rather than what we get. You remember when Jesus is dressed as a servant, begins to wash his disciples in their dirty feet, and Jesus is on hand and knee there like a slave, scrubbing and cleaning their filth, and then he comes to Peter, who has left all to follow, fishing boat and family, who has pledged his life to Jesus, who makes all the bold claims of devotion to him. When Jesus comes to him like a slave, Peter says to him in John 13, 8, you shall never wash my feet. And what does Jesus say in response to him? He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And it is somehow the case that if we cannot allow Jesus to condescend and take our filth into his hands, if our pride cannot allow that, that we put ourselves in a posture of being served by him, then how will our hearts ever take in the Son of God hanging upon the cross as a criminal so that he might wash us clean by his very own shed blood? Anyone who wants to become a believer has to and must let Jesus cleanse him or her, wash us, die in our place with no contribution from me, rise from the grave for us and ascend into heaven to return again to take us with him. He does everything. He does all. We only get, get, get. The gospel is such, this is Alistair Begg, if you were to die tonight and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer that in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I, because I believe, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he, because he. This is not only about initial salvation and justification alone, but our entire process of becoming more like him and being sanctified in him is a work that he does in each of us. This is why John 15 pictures our relationship with him as us abiding in the vine. That's where we get our vitality and strength and life because severed from him and apart from him, we can't do anything. Discipleship, following Jesus, Christianity is about more what we get from him than what we give to him. And Peter in these moments and Martha the same, they want to do more for Jesus 
And while they can come from somewhat of a noble heart, when Peter makes promises like, even if all fall away, I will not, and he does, he draws that sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the mob comes to arrest him, Martha will clean and prep with urgency just to feed and care for him and give him the rest he needs. But so often it is that even the most well-intentioned followers of Jesus can so easily miss the point of following Jesus that we must get from him before we ever give. And the gospel is not first about serving God, but being served by the Son of God himself and is being put into a posture to receive his grace and undeserving in which we are primarily the takers more than we are anything else. But it's very easy to become distracted from this main thing and this core. And it's Martha here, and you can almost imagine her clanging the dishes, vacuuming all violently, coming out, staring daggers into Mary with her hand on her hip. I'm doing all this work of trying to serve you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'm trying to prepare this for you, Jesus, and help you relax and do this and that for you. And Mary over here, all she's doing is being served by you. Make her help me do something for you instead. And she's got it all backwards and upside down. I don't know if you ever try to wash a car and you unroll the hose and you turn the water on full blast and you go back to the end of the hose and it's just dribbling out. You know something's wrong. There's a kink in the hose. And you got to trace it back, find that kink, because nothing's coming out. I think that's what's happening a little bit with Martha. The text in verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted by much serving. She's distracted. Kink in the hose. Martha's distracted by Martha. And what Martha does and what Martha says, and when our eyes are upon this and that and what I need to do here and there, and I got to prep for Jesus, whom I love, and this over there, Kinks that O's, it trickles out, it dries up for even the best of us. And then what even began with good intentions and a purity of worship that I want to give my all to Jesus and serve him with all of my might, it can get really sour. That rather than coming back to the foot of Christ, we can start to dwell on all of these potential solutions as to why we're so burnt out. And why we're being so resentful and so bitter and angry and easily irritated. And we can put ourselves into this position where, well, I'm not the one who's doing wrong. Everyone else, they're the ones who are doing wrong. Notice how Martha doesn't see any issue in herself. But what does she see? She sees an issue in everyone else. And Jesus included. And it would be one thing if Martha says, you know what, Jesus, I would love to sit at your feet too, Jesus, because I know that's the best place for me. But she doesn't actually believe that to be the case in this moment. Martha instead wants to pull Mary out of that place and even boldly command Jesus to tell Mary to do so so that Mary might become more like Martha. And it's often the case that when the hose has the kink, this is what happens, that we start to get really upset. And then we may not even come back to Christ's feet to eat and drink in all that he has for us, but instead we spend our time replaying history and all the ways we've been wronged and all the ways that I'm the noble one, the righteous one, and therefore the victim. This is what is called self-pity. And Martha's is such that she actually asks Jesus, she asks the Son of God, the Savior who's going to die upon the cross for her sins, she actually asked Jesus, Lord, do you not care? Can you believe it? All Jesus does is care. But self-pity can be so powerful. And then out of this self-pity, we can so easily breed a resentment in our hearts and our solutions become, and we genuinely believe in them. If she would just, 
if he would just, if my kids would only, if my husband and my wife were more like this instead of that, my boss this, my friends more, blah, blah, blah. And then you start praying like that, change all the people around me, God. I don't know if you see the situation, Lord, as if Jesus doesn't see what you can see. And if Jesus, if he only knew what you knew, then he would agree with you too. And this kind of bitterness and resentment really drives a wedge in our relationship with other people and our relationship with God himself. And it is often within the church that even those with the best of intentions who want to serve become distracted and sulk and spend hours in self-pity and resentment is bred and self-righteous accusations are thrown around and we come to believe that the real solution to all of these issues is that other people need to step up more and be passionate about what we are passionate about and they need to be less like them and a little bit more like me. But it is right here in the mirror of Martha, in the mirror of the scripture, often it is that we can see our own reflection and are reminded that the real issue, again, is not this, nor is it that. But God is inviting us to where we need to return again and again and again. And these distractions have a way of making our minds go to all the places that are not the real core solution, so much so that we forget altogether the very core of what it means to follow Jesus, to sit at his feet and to drink in all that he has for us and to know him more and more by his word and be changed. Now, this is not to deny the complexities of so many of life's problems. Marital issues are real and severe, relational drama, financial strain, and whatnot. But underneath any solution must be the realization of what it is that matters the most, our fellowship with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, many of us here are frantic, distracted, uh, worried, busy, and yet at the same time can't remember the last time we sat down with God's word open and everything else fading to black. Not in a check mark kind of way. I did my Bible reading kind of check. But to be like Mary, that nothing else in this moment matters except what Jesus has for me. I will worship. I will adore. Every word he utters shall be stored in my memory because faith sees the inner glory which dwells in him, that we become so overpowered with reverence and so wrapped in devout wonder that we become oblivious of all outward things. If we find more and more ourselves irritated and distracted, we're seeing so many problems with everyone else and everything else. We find ourselves frustrated and even angry and dwelling upon solutions and shaking our fists at God in a sense because of the situation he puts us in and all the ways other people are making it worse, I think we have to come back to what is central. We gotta come back to Christ's feet. We need to come to him to receive his ministry and live by everything that proceeds from him. And so, firstly, it's very easy to be distracted from the very core and essence of discipleship and not even know it, to lose our focus on what it is that matters most, to be more distracted like Martha, uh, even in good things, even in serving Jesus, when we ought to firstly recognize the beauty of sitting at Jesus' feet and taking in all that we can from him. We continue in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. 
But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Notice here how Jesus defends those who have chosen the good portion and how he justifies those who do prioritize himself and also how gently he brings back those who may have wandered from it. First, uh, look how gently Jesus brings Martha back. Jesus doesn't meet anger with anger like so many of us often can do. There's a tenderness uh, to repeating Martha's name two times, Martha, Martha. And there's a mercy because Jesus does understand just how easy it is to become distracted. You know, busyness in our day and age has almost become a virtue to brag about. You ask someone how they're doing, oh, we're so busy. I have this and that and the kids this and I got to drive them here and there and work is ramped up because of the job, blah, 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 and the hobbies, et cetera, et cetera. And it can be the case within the church as well. Well, this ministry over here and that one there and this for summer and the fall is coming up and do, 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 do. There's a way to be very busy for Jesus and yet not even taken up by Jesus. And Martha's distraction is actually serving Jesus. It's ministering to him, which is a good and noble thing, but this is what often does distract us from the main thing. The good is often the enemy of the best. We will frequently not be deciding between abject sin and fellowship with God, but be deciding between good gifts and the giver of them. And over time, ever so subtly, our time with God can easily be squeezed into the margins and everything else given a greater priority, that this thing is so urgent, this need is so pressing. If I don't do this, everything's going to fall apart. But if we take a step back, I think we'll realize more and more that so much of what is urgent is really, when all is said and done, relatively unnecessary. I don't even know what kind of food Martha made on this day, do you? I don't know if she was a widow or not. I don't know if she had hardwood floors, probably not. I don't know her SAT score. We don't know her hobbies. But there are so many distractions that keep us from seeing and dwelling on the beauty of Jesus as revealed in his word. Everything else is going to pass away and be forgotten. And I think for many of us, myself included, we need to hear our Savior calling out our name two times so that perhaps we could come back to him. A big part of Christian discipleship is saying no to sin, no doubt. But perhaps a bigger part of it is also saying no to other good things because they are in competition with the best thing. And we each and we all probably already know what some of these things are. Perhaps that's a good family exercise on the way home. What are the things that seem to be pushing Jesus into the margins? There are many things in this life which seem to be so important, which seem to be so pressing, which seem to be so urgent, and more and more we can condition ourselves. We're spending a day on the field for hours is regular. Netflix binging normal, and yet even 45 minutes with a Bible open and tunnel vision to Jesus, totally abnormal. When preparing for worship throughout the week to gather on Sunday is done with leftover effort. I get to it when I get to it. The gas tank on E, the hose is kinked, detached from the vine. Pick your image. And it's in these very moments we need to confess how our paradigms have become so off and how we measure time spent. And so Jesus is very gently bringing Martha back to him 
and pointing out all that she is distracted with, anxious about, and troubled. But notice how Jesus here defends Mary. You know, uh, in this day and age, normal rabbis wouldn't let women sit at their feet because that position was reserved for men. And I'm sure Jesus, having women be equal learners alongside the disciples, rubbed a lot of Judaism's big wigs the wrong way. Mary could get some of that eat. And there's going to be others who want Mary to get up and help with the cooking, do something more tangible than just sitting at Jesus' feet, do something more helpful. Can you be a little bit more practical than simple devotion to Christ? You're going to spend that chunk of your day tuning everything out to be with your Savior? Isn't there something more productive for you to do? And I think for the ones who want to spend a lot of quality time with Jesus, especially when they have to say no to other things, they're going to get attacked for doing so from a variety of people because it is sadly so very uncommon for God's people to do this. And Jesus notices here those who love to be with them. And Jesus defends those who love to be with them. And he recognizes them before all that these ones are the ones who have chosen the best portion and the one thing which is needful and necessary. Listen to J.C. Ryle. Only one thing is needful. How true is that saying? The longer we live in the world, the more true it will appear. The nearer we come to the grave, the more thoroughly we shall assent to it. Health and money and lands and rank and honors and prosperity are all well in their way, but they cannot be called needful. Without them, thousands are happy in this world and reach glory in the world to come. The many things which men and women are continually struggling for are not really necessities. The grace of God which brings salvation is the one thing needful. Let this little sentence be continually before the eyes of our minds. Let it check us when we are ready to murmur at earthly trials. Let it strengthen us when we are tempted to deny our master on account of persecution. Let it caution us when we begin to think too much of the things of the world. Let it quicken us when we are disposed to look back like Lot's wife. In all such seasons, let the word of our Lord ring in our ears like a trumpet and bring us to a right mind. Only one thing is needful. If Christ is ours, then we have all and abound. Isn't it fitting on Jesus' path to Jerusalem where he has just a little bit of time with his people before he departs? that he impresses the very one thing which is altogether needful. To be at his feet constantly, taking in everything he has for us, to be in fellowship with our Lord and Savior. And there is no shame from Jesus when we prioritize our lives in this way. There is no regret from his people when they have done so throughout the generations. And when the end is nearer, I think we will look back upon our lives and wish that we had given more of ourselves to them. And before we close, I, I don't think this passage means we don't serve. I think we're supposed to have the contemplative heart of Mary joined to the industrious side of Martha, but there is an order, and there is the one thing which is necessary and is the very best portion. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father, we ask that you would bring us to yourself and make us a people who long to sit at Jesus' feet. Bring us closer to him and let us leave the world behind 
and give to us each the joy that Mary has in this text. Help us, God, in wisdom to make the right decisions and cut out even good things which may compete in our affection for you. Father, show us the joy and the beauty of the good portion and how necessary the one supreme thing is. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.